0: When Jesus spoke these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is the eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now." I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the script might be fulfilled but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they have my joy fulfilled in themselves I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one they are not in the world just as I am not in the world. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified to write in the truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they also may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, O righteous father even though the world does not know you i know you and these know that you have sent me i made known to them your name and i will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and i in them jesus asked that we be one That's on me. 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 Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you and all of you friends online. So glad that you are here with us and uh, get to spend some time together. Uh, I invite you to just take a minute. I would like you to just mentally scan the landscape of the American church right now. Just want you to think about what we see, what we hear, what we sense is happening amongst the body of Christ in our country. And as you do that, I invite you to think of one word that comes to your mind that best describes the condition that you see in the American church. So just think about that for a minute. What's one word that you think kind of describes? What you see going on in the church. For those of you at home or wherever you're at, hopefully with other people, I encourage you to just share the word that comes to mind and explain why you think that. Just talk about that for a minute. And for those of you who are here in the room with me, I'd love to hear some of those words from you. So I'd love to get a handful of those words. What are some of the words that come to your mind right now when you think of the church? I'd love to see your hand and then I can kind of, you know, identify you and then show your word. Yes. Broken. Broken. Okay. Yeah. Looking for more hands. Divided, all right. Fallen. fallen, okay. Did you say fallen? Yeah. Want we'll to make sure the math sometimes, you know, they get tricky. A couple more. Fear, Fear. fearful, okay. A couple more. Unstable, Unstable. okay. A couple more. A couple more. All right. And one more on this side because they're they're winning. <laughs> Trendy. Trendy, okay. And we could probably spend more time unpacking those words. Those, those are strong words. Those are heavy words. And really, a lot of them are negative. We, we know there was someone at one of the previous services that said, you know, hopeful, because we know that we have hope in Christ. But right now, as we listen, as we watch, as we experience conversations and that which we see online and all these things, more negative words seem to come to mind than positive words. And as, if I've, and I, and as I've done that exercise in my own life over the last few months, uh, the word that has come to my mind was shared here already, but the word that I think best describes what I've been seeing in the church, and I would say the church in our country, but even at our own church, Cuyahoga Valley Church, because we're part of the bigger church, is that we're divided. So we're divided. You know, division is not new to the church. I mean, we've got centuries of division, right? So pick, pick your, your topic whether it's, you know, doctrine, tradition, uh, leadership, you know, uh, conflict, whatever it is, uh, we've got generations of some division in the Church of Christ. That's why if you drive down the street, you go, oh, there's First Baptist Church and Second Baptist Church and Third and a Half Baptist Church and on and on and on, right? Because we, we're not, you know, division's not new. But we know that a lot of the division that might come to our mind right now, the fresh stuff that we're processing uh, probably is related to like COVID-19 dynamics, you know, what should be open, what should be closed, what's true, what's not true, mass, not mass, distancing, schooling, all these kinds of things, and all the various opinions that, that have invaded our homes and our, our church and our community conversations. We think about racial tensions that we see right now uh, going on in our country. We think about political tensions. We even think about generational differences. Because some of the things that one generation is passionate about and their strategy to try to accomplish God's work with that passion isn't always the same as the next generation. And so so we have all these moving topics that are creating some division in the church. And here's the thing we need to be aware of, that unity in the church should be one of our most aggressive pursuits as followers of Christ. And here's why. When the church is unified, Christ is glorified. When the church is unified, Christ is glorified. I want you just to step back for a second and think about uh, what we see when we span humanity. Think about the human experience. Uh, people are looking for identity and meaning and worth and value and purpose and you know, reconciliation in their heart with something they know is off. They're, they're looking for that by flipping over every rock of the human experience, and eventually everyone everyone experiences the emptiness of. That one dollar more, that next possession, if that person likes me, if that person doesn't like me, uh, achievements, the fleeting opinions of others, all these things, eventually we realize all those come up empty. And here as a people of God, we've been given this message of hope that this indestructible identity to be a child of God is something that you actually receive, don't achieve because of who Christ is and what he did on the cross. And so we have this incredible message offered to humanity who so desperately needs it and their hearts are hungry for it. And yet we are spending a lot of energy on infighting. And we are being distracted and we're being divided by issues. Some issues are important issues. They matter. Some are not issues that are extensively non-essential, we would probably call them. And then there are definitely issues that we will dig our heels in. When we're talking about divinity of you know, Christ, we're talking about salvation of our souls being about God's grace rather than our works, we're talking about you know, one God, three person has the Trinity, we're, we're talking about those kinds of things, we'll, we'll you know, have fighting words over those, if you will. But we're finding ourselves being divided on so many other, what we would call non-essential issues. And so my goal today is not to look over the list of all the things we're divided on and try to reconcile all the issues, my task is simply this today to hold up the needed call for unity in the church. We have to be unified in Christ. God has a heart for unity. And the challenge I'm going to give you today, I'm going to put on the front right now, and then we'll circle back and talk about it again. But the challenge I'm giving you this is, would you pray for the unity of believers and pursue unity with believers? That's what I'm challenging you to do today, that you would start to pray more fervently for the unity of believers, that we pray for the unity. And then also you personally and we collectively as a family of faith would then pursue Unity with other believers. And God values unity. And I want to take you to one of the most powerful moments in Scripture, I think, that demonstrates God's heart for unity. And we're going to be in in, uh, the book of John, chapter 17. So I invite all of you to open your Bibles or fire up your Bible apps to John 17. If you're sitting at home or in a coffee shop or wherever you're at, uh, get your Bible app or your phone out to John 17. It's an entire chapter. And if you're newer to the Christian faith or you're not familiar with studying the Bible on your own, uh, John is one of four books that we call the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These four books record the life and ministry of Jesus. And so we learn a lot about God's heart and specifically uh, God's Savior for the world by studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to zoom in on a moment in John 17 in what's called by some as the high priestly prayer. It's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible. And because of that, some people would even argue this is truly the Lord's prayer. Because we see the Lord praying and pouring out his heart. And I'll just give you, you know, just a random pop quiz. What do you think is one of the biggest themes in this entire chapter of Jesus praying? Any guesses? Unity. 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 There's actually lots of themes in the scripture, right? Uh, You see these themes of God's sovereignty, persecution of the believers, um, you know, heavenly citizenship. You see election, predestination. Uh, You see a lot of different themes, but the two most dominant themes in John 17 are God's glory and unity. God's glory and our unity. Unity. And so we're going to look at that here. Now, what uh, we're about to see as we move into John 17 is Jesus really has three um, uh, focuses as he prays, and, th- and they go from one to the next to the next. So the first focus we're going to see is Jesus actually prays for himself. We see God the Son praying to God the Father about what the God, who, who the God, God the Son is and what he's done. We see Jesus praying for his remaining 11 apostles because Judas is no longer with them, because he's uh, too busy betraying Jesus in the moment that this prayer is happening. And then he also prays for future believers. And so I want to just kind of walk through those, but I want you guys to catch these themes of glory and unity as they come through. And so let's look at this passage in John 17 with this filter that when the church is unified, Christ is glorified. So John 17, let's look at verses 1 through 5 first. It says, when Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Meaning, he's referring here that his, his death is coming. He knows that he's about to die on the cross. My hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you've given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is wrapping up the earthly part of his ministry. He's getting ready to go to the cross where he's going to die as uh, our substitute for our sin that the, the, uh, offends and violates God. And now he's, he's wrapping it up and he's spending time, God the Son, connected with God the Father. And did you hear all those words, glory, glorify, glorified? This is a huge theme. Now, when we think about God's glory, one of the best ways to think about it is when you think about glory, is taking something that's hidden or hard to see and making it visible and revealed. And so when we talk about the glory of God, we talk about his qualities, his character, his holiness, his excellence, his goodness, his essence, his greatness, his majesty, and it's put on display for all to see. And when God is glorified, when His character, when His nature, when His qualities are seen, what happens is it draws people to God. And when people see God's glory, they're drawn to praise Him, and they're drawn to worship Him. And so God's glory is a huge theme through all of Scripture. And that's the core request of Jesus in this moment, that the glory of God would be seen. And what we see happening is is cool is that as Jesus is praying this in a spirit of unity, we're seeing right away that also unity is not uniformity, but God is a big fan of unity with diversity. Because we're seeing it played out right here with God the Son talking to God the Father. One God, but yet two of the Trinitarian Godheads having unity with one another. And so when you think about God and how he likes to display unity with diversity, think about the Trinity, one God, Three distinct personhoods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It's very mysterious. It's the way God's revealed Himself. We think about the Bible, the Bible that you hold right now. It's a perfect example of unity with diversity because you've got one author, God, yet He used 40 different writers, all from different backgrounds, shepherds, priests, kings, prophets, you know, laymen, and then uh, written in three different languages on three different continents, and so it's this incredible book of diversity. Yet there's one author, and it's not uh, one book made up of different stories. It's one story that God has assembled miraculously with different books, because you've got from the beginning to the end is one story: God's creation and the beauty and perfection of that, man's fall. And man's attempt to try to fix it, you know, what happens. And then the Savior comes and repairs and restores. And then the end, when we all get to be with... It's it's one narrative. It's one story. Unity with diversity. And so we see how God demonstrates this even in his own presence. And so we should be about God's glory. Jesus was praying for himself, and the big theme was God's glory. The glory that Christ has had and will have again. The glory that that, that we should be bringing to the Father. You know, 1 Corinthians 10.31... We see this passage that God uses through the Apostle Paul. He says, So whatever you, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. And so just as Jesus prayed and pursued the glory of God, so should we. We should pray for God to be glorified. And one of the best ways that God is glorified is through our unity. And so when we think about being unified and our unity bringing glory, we think about our own personal responsibility to do that which should glorify God. What a great question. Before I make this decision, will it glorify God? This decision I'm about to make, will it glorify God or not glorify God? This this act I'm about to have, this attitude, this behavior, this thing I'm going to buy, uh, this thing I'm going to post, this conversation I'm about to have, these words I'm about to use, will it glorify God or not glorify God? And so Jesus prayed. And that core theme about that prayer was was, was the unity of them, but in such a way that would give God glory. So in the same way, we should pray for the glory of God and pursue the glory of God. And then Jesus prays for his 11 disciples. Verses 6 through 8. He said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. Here we see Jesus affirming that God indeed raised up these twelve incredible apostles that would follow and learn from Christ, and what would happen with that, and and that they had received the truth. And now they were about to go out and represent the truth. And we see Jesus leaning into that prayer, right? Because these these apostles are precious to him. He's concerned for them. Look at verses 9 through 11. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they're yours. All mine are yours. All yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you've given me that they may be, what's the word? One, even as we are one. And so you see what Jesus is doing? He's moving from praying about himself and his interaction with the Father. Now he's praying for those who were the closest to him when he was here. And he knows that as he goes back to heaven, that he is now handing the baton of ministry to these 11 disciples and that those that they're going to train and teach as well and all the other disciples that are going to learn from them. And so he's praying that God would protect them and guard them because he knows that they're going to experience opposition, that the, the, the governments of those days are not going to like the message of the gospel. He knows that they're going to encounter internal and external opposition. And so he's asking the Father to preserve and protect the work and the unity of these apostles, knowing that if they're one, they're going to make a bigger dent than if they just disperse and just be on their own. But they're one in spirit, one in purpose, one in mission as they start to multiply and raise up other leaders and get the gospel, the good news of Jesus into the world. And so as he's praying, Jesus is speaking to those challenges and he's uh, asking that they would be one. Think again about unity with diversity. Even though there were 12 disciples originally, now 11, they still have different backgrounds, different personalities, different opinions on things. And yet together as a team, God used them to change the entire world. God's power, God's glory displayed with that unity with diversity again. And when they were unified, Christ was glorified. And so I think as we see how Jesus prayed for them, it's just a reminder that we too should be praying for those who have special calls of God upon their life. All of us need prayer. All of us are living for the Lord. All of us are missionaries. All of us are disciples. But there are those who uh, have given their lives to full-time ministry, or maybe part-time or bivocational or co-vocational ministry, where they're missionaries in the field, they're church planters, they're pastors, they're ministry leaders, they're leading ministry organizations trying to share the love of Christ with many. It's a reminder that we should pray for the protection and preservation of their work, just as Jesus prayed for the protection and preservation of the work of these apostles. And so that should also be our pursuit. So we see Jesus, he's praying, he's praying for himself. He moves to praying for these apostles, and then, and this is where I want to spend a little more time. He prays for all future believers. Look at verse 20. As Jesus continues to pray, he says, I do not ask for these. That's a reference to the apostles, right? I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know what he's praying for, right? He's saying, these men are going to tell others, and so I pray uh, for them and for those who hear, and for those who hear from them, and then from those who hear from them, and those who hear from them, and those who hear from them. And so he's praying for all believers of all time. But I want you to think about your relationship with Christ, if you know the Lord. How did you come to know the Lord? Well, someone told you. Well, where did they hear it? Well, someone told them. Where did they hear it? Well, someone. You can trace it all the way back to the gospel, original you know, um, professors of the gospel, back to the apostles. And so what's happening here is in this moment, I mean, look at this, John 17, chapter 20, guess who Jesus is praying for? He's praying for you. He's actually praying for you and for me and for us because we've come to believe in him through the word of the apostles. How cool is that? 2,000 years ago, Jesus had you on his mind and heart, right? You knew that, but this is just another moment where you see the reality of that. And so what a profound moment. And so what is his prayer for us? That's cool that he's praying for us, but what is he praying? Look at verse 21. He says here, and if you feel the freedom to do so, read these next words with me, that they may all be what? One. What did Jesus pray for you and for me and for us? That we would be one. He says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be what? One, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love me and love them even as you love me. Just, just pause there for a second. This prayer is happening hours before Jesus is going to be betrayed, arrested, beat. Tortured, mocked, spit upon, crucified, a spear thrust to his side, and then put in a grave. Hours before that happens, he's praying that we would be one. Does anybody else's heart hurt a little bit? That, some of the, that something that was so important to Jesus, we were actually failing at in many areas. Like, if I were to come to you hours before you took your last breath, I'm sure that whatever you want to talk about is going to be very important to you. And whatever you want to pray about is going to be very important to you. When we see what's important to Jesus right now, and a big part of what's important to Jesus is our unity. God's glory, but our unity. He wants us to be one. And here's what's so cool about this moment. Jesus is praying this. Do you think God the Father is going to deny the answer to this prayer? No, this prayer has been, is being, and will be answered. This is a prayer that, that God the Father is going to say yes to. So the question is for us, are we going to be part of experiencing the answer to the prayer or are we going to be on a different group where we're not experiencing the answer to the prayer? And so we need to put our spiritual lens on and see that unity is so important because when the church is unified, Christ is glorified. Even take that a step further, put on your spiritual lens and go, wait a minute, the devil's real. We have a real adversary, Satan, the devil. He's real. He's not a myth. If he knows that unity is so important to Christ and so important to the work of Christ, guess what's going to be one of his number one tactics as our adversary? To cause division. To cause disunity. I want you to think about that right now. Right now, the devil is probably doing a happy dance over so many areas of division that are taking place in the church. Some of our conversations, some of our interactions, some of the broken relationships, I think the devil just takes it, polishes that little trophy, puts it on his mantle goes, look look what I did. Look what I did. And we have to take a step back and go, every time we allow ourselves to be divided, especially over non-essential issues, we're not displaying unity. We're not glorifying Christ in that moment. In fact, we're giving the bad guy a little more ammunition to do his job. And that is just something that should absolutely bother us. So we know Jesus wants us to be one. Believers in Christ being united together should be the daily norm. But why? Why is this so important to Jesus? He prayed that we become what one. Why does he want us to be one? Well, look back at verse 21 and then 23. He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. And I'm going to give you a key here. Two amazing words that help you in your Bible study. Here's what God asks you to do, but here's why. In the bridge, so that. It says right here, that's number one. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Why does Jesus want us to be one? so that our unity will convey the message to people who are far from God, who need Christ, that Jesus is real, that he was sent, that he loves them. He's got a hope and a faith and a joy and a purpose for them, and he's going to do it through the unified body of Christ. Look at verse 23. He says, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one. Here we go again. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. The reason we're to be unified is to help glorify Christ and make Him attractive, make Him accessible, make Him desirable. That's you know God's going to do that without us, but He's going to use us to make that part of winning people to Himself. And if we're not unified, we're 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 failing on our job. And I just want to say to anyone in this room, but especially to anyone watching online, because I know there's people online that are watching right now. You haven't been to church in years maybe you've never been to church, and you probably have encountered Christians or have seen Christians drawing battle lines over issues that just seem really peculiar to you. If, if you have taken a step back from Christ because of the behavior of Christians, I just want to say on all of our behalf, we're sorry. We're sorry that if our behavior has ever put a barrier up between you and the Jesus you need so desperately, and we're going to continue to try to do better. Because that's what Christ has called us to do. When we operate in unity, Christ is glorified. And that's a daily job. Think about it this way. This is kind of drastic. But in two months, your presidential candidate of choice will lose or win based on the votes of American citizens. But the kingdom of God daily wins or loses by the behavior of its citizens. And if we're called to be citizens of God, we're citizens of heaven through Christ, then what we do every day is casting a vote for whether someone should consider Jesus or not. And we need to let that understanding put a governor over our mouth and our actions and our fingers when we're typing, because a lot of us are actually... Encouraging people to look away from Christ rather than to look to Christ. He's called us to be unified. And I want to remind you again, and as far as the church and us, that unity doesn't mean uniformity. We, we have different backgrounds. The church is made up of different people of different uh, ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomical backgrounds, uh, men, women, uh, kids, adults. We're, we're all together to make up one body. And so I want to just illustrate that for a second to help us bring it home. Uh, I've got a nice little Lego here, a little Duplo, right? Okay. Some of us are operating like this, isolated, alone, renegades, by ourselves. I got this. I'm Jesus's warrior. I'm all on my own out there. Okay. This is not a representation of the church. The church is a group of people called together. And so good, good luck trying to do the one another's like this. Good job trying to carry one another's burdens and let someone else's spiritual gift encourage you and your spiritual gift encourage others. You can't, all right? So like you might move the ball just a tiny bit with posting and conversations, but this is not a picture of the church, okay? So what we've seen then, a lot of times, this is what we're experiencing more now. Instead of individuals, we group together, all right, but we group together in groups of people that are similar to us. Ah, Maybe same ethnicity, You you think the same, you vote the same, you sound the same, everything's sameness. And so what happens is we form groups, but groups around that which we find common with other people, and there's no diversity. And anybody who thinks different than you is a threat. Or what we've been seeing and hearing like, well, if you're a true Christian, you'll vote this way and think this way. Well, no, if you're a true Christian, you'll vote this way. This is what we're hearing. This is what we're seeing. But this is not a picture of the church. The picture of church are not groupings of people, factions we can even call them. that all cluster together that think the same, act the same, understand the same. This, this is not an accurate portrayal of the church that Jesus has built. If My daughter, 10-year-old daughter, I, she came in the other day and said, I need you to build me some stuff. And so this, this is all her handiwork, right? This is probably a little more accurate of what is true of the church. Uh, We've got some people who want to apostate here. Hold on. Okay. This, this, this is a little bit more of an accurate visual representation. It's bigger. It's, it's going to be more effective as a structure, if you will. And yet there's a lot of diversity and uniqueness. Everybody's different. But they're all held together by a common love for Jesus. They're all held together with a common faith. So yeah, we're going to think different about some things. We're going to have different passions and, and causes that we want to rally around because of what Jesus has done for us. We're going to have different views. We might even vote different because otherwise we're just looking to try to create that. This, this is a better representation of the body of Christ that we come together unified on all the core essentials of the Christian faith and then walk it out. Unity with diversity. This is a more accurate type of portrayal of what the church is like. But that's not what the world is seeing. And that's not what a lot of us are honestly pursuing. But that's what God has for us. To be a group that's united. And when we're united, okay, when we're united, Christ is glorified. That's what God's called us to do. So here's my challenge for you today. I want to come back to it. Would you pray... For the unity of believers in Christ. And would you also pursue, personally pursue, and us as a family of faith, pursue unity with other believers? That's what God's calling us to do. I want to talk about the prayer piece for a second. You know, our prayers reveal our priorities. Just as Jesus praying here in this moment revealed his priorities, when we pray, it reveals our priorities, whatever we pray about. When's the last time you've been praying for the unity of Christians? So I'm gonna ask you to start to daily, if you can remember, daily, just even if it's just a quick prayer, would you just pray, Lord, would you unite your children? Would you unite believers? Would you help us to be better, to do better being one? Would you pray for our unity? Also, would you pursue? You need to take action. And by the way, our unity is not something that we're going to force. You can't make it happen. Honestly, the way it works is the more time you spend with Christ, the more time you spend in His Word, the more time you spend praying and talking to Him, the more time you spend time talking about Him, the unity starts to become a byproduct with other Christians. And so when you spend more time on your news feed and social media feeds than you do in the Word, that's not going to promote unity. You guys know that, right? That's actually going to promote disunity, if anything. But the more time you spend in the Word more time you spend in prayer, start to kind of taper this down, shut, you know, shut some of that down, turn the channel, whatever, it might actually create more unity. And so what that looks like is when we come together with other believers, like, like whether you get on a plane with someone from another country or you find yourself talking to another person who's a person of faith, you start to realize we love the same Jesus. We were rescued by the same Jesus. We believe in the same Bible. Oh, well, you struggle with sin? I still struggle with sin. And we, we have a common connection. In Jesus. And so we have to start to find ways to pursue that. And just trust the Lord to lead that in your heart. For some of you, that means getting in a life group and being in community with people who are different than you. Your life group shouldn't look like this, by the way. <laughs> I hope they don't. Right? They need to start to look a little bit more like this. So, so so get get in community with people who think a little bit different than you do, and then rally around your common love for Christ. Some of you need to start to read and listen and watch things from people who love Jesus that just have a different of opinion than you. Not because you're trying to be swayed to go to the other side, but you want to expand your understanding, connect with people with where they're at, and demonstrate humility and teachability. And so there's just ways that we need to take action steps toward pursuing unity with other believers. So I'm challenging you, I'm calling you, all of us, Would you pray for the unity of believers and pursue unity with other believers? Let's pray about that, even now. Father, we look at these verses, and they're convicting and they're motivating. And if we're going to be honest and if we're going to be real, we all know that we've had moments where we have contributed to disunity in the body. God, we've all taken issues, some of them very unimportant, and have made them points of arguments with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we've even even taken important topics, topics that matter, that, that we should have concern about. But Lord, we've actually put those above the priority of glorifying you and reaching the lost. Jesus, you didn't come to die for some of our personal preferences or opinions or causes. You died to rescue people who were trapped and lost in sin. So God, may we never diminish that or put something else above it. And we confess that we've done that and we're sorry. Starting today, may you find all of us here, we're all here together in the building, online, we're one in the faith in Christ. May you find us all faithful to start to aggressively pray and seek you that we may be one so that people will know that Jesus is real and loves them and came for them. And Father, help us, bring conviction upon us about what steps we need to take as individuals and as a family to pursue unity, to not hurt others, to not dilute our impact as a family of faith with the gospel, because of some of the issues we've been standing by. Father, would you do that work in us? We can't do it without you. We need you. Draw us together in one, in unity. Now we ask in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. Just a few things for wrapping up here. Uh, if you want to connect on anything that you've heard about today, whether you're online or right here, I invite you to use our response number four four zero. and just type the word CONNECT you want to know more about Christ want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus maybe you're new and you haven't had a chance to connect with us or maybe you you want to talk about something that was brought up today because it's been a conviction in your life or you've got questions just text CONNECT that word CONNECT to that number 440-276-5575 couple other things Uh, I had mentioned last week that I was going to be doing kind of a state of the church in this message. Um, but I realized to try to force that in, I didn't really have time to do this message or that state of the church information uh, diligence by doing that. So I just I removed it out of the message, and I'll probably do that in a video in the next week or two to come. So just keep your eyes and ears open. But I just want to have a moment where I get to say with you, like, how are we doing CVC, And look at some of the celebrations and challenges that we're experiencing as a church. Also, in, on the topic of unity and praying for the church, Just tell you where we're going. Um, We're going to start a new series next week. It's a four-week series called Polarized. It's appropriately named. And we're going to do a four-week series on faith and politics. And we're going to look at four historical topics that have been important to the people of God over the centuries. And there are four topics that really inform um, where we land politically and what's important to us, but more importantly, what we see in God's Word about those topics. So our goal is just to come to these topics and look at God's word and what God has to say on them and then learn together about those topics. That's where we're going to go. And then after that, we're going to be in a fall series on the church. What is the church? I'll just tell you right now, the church is not a place you go. It's not a service you attend. The church is the people. You don't go to church. You are the church. So we're going to spend couple months talk about that and growing in that regard as well. So that's where we're going to be going. And I look forward to navigating that. But we need to pray because there's going to be some people who are going to have a difference of opinion. We're going to be poking at this right here a little bit, right? Our goal is to be a lot more like this at the end of the day. Amen. And hey, let's stand and let's sing to the one who unites us.